Want some lunch for your ears? Lunch with legs. Welcome to today's episode of Lunch with Legs. Legs Malone here, wishing you a very warm and happy hello and a very happy spring wishes. Today is a super special episode of Lunch with Legs. Uh, and before we dive into it, I just want to give a huge shout out to an amazing burlesque tour that Lunch with Legs is very proudly sponsoring. And that tour is Twirly Whirly Burly Q. Twirly Whirly Burly Q features three amazing New York burlesque stars, Ula Uberbusen, Rosie Cheeks, and Hazel Honeysuckle. You can follow all of their very sexy antics at twirlywhirlyburlyq.com. I will have full info in our blog entry for today's episode. And if you are tuning in from New Jersey, Pennsylvania, North Carolina, Georgia, Florida, Louisiana, Texas, Missouri, Kansas... Uh, where else? Gosh, Tennessee, West Virginia, Maryland, or good old-fashioned New York City, please do go check out their website. They are coming to your state in one of your major cities to bring you some fine entertainment. Again, that is twirlywhirlyburlyq.com. Go check them out. All right, so... Getting down to the brass tacks, this episode is coming at a critical moment for one particular amazing Kickstarter campaign called Die Jim Crow. Die Jim Crow was conceived by a music producer named Fury Young and is supported by my amazing interviewee today, supported, produced, synced. He has done so much stuff. His name is Doc Israel. Die Jim Crow is a project, uh, it is basically, they're creating a full-length album, but right now they are kickstarting for their EP, uh, which is, the concept album is all about racism in the U.S. prison system, created by formerly and currently incarcerated black songwriters from across the country. It is a extremely powerful and deeply moving project, and I feel so fortunate to have captured this brief moment in time with Doc Israel to discuss it. If you want to check it out while you're listening to this interview, you can go on to kickstarter.com and search for Die Jim Crow. It was featured very prominently when they first launched it, and they literally have a handful of days left. So as a salutation to all of their hard work, and because I deeply believe in this project, I am psyched to bring you to today's interview. Uh, just one little note of business. If you feel moved to donate to this podcast, you can visit our website at lunchwithlegs.com and click on the PayPal button in the upper right-hand corner of the screen. If you feel so moved, you can set up a monthly auto payment, which helps us hugely, or just even a one-time donation, for which we will be very thankful indeed. As always, massive love and thanks to everyone who has given to the podcast thus far. We love you. Thank you. All right, let's get this episode started. Ladies and gentlemen, go ahead, pull up a chair, pour yourself a cup of something good, and get ready to hear all about Die Jim Crow with the man himself, Dr. Israel. 
Doc Israel, thank you so much for being on Lunch with Legs. How are you today? I'm very good. Thank you for having me. Oh, such a pleasure. Such a pleasure. This is such a, a, a an extraordinary time to be connecting with you. Yes. Um, the I definitely want... I'm just going to dive right in because I know no. time is precious. Yes. Um, you are one of the masterminds and sort of creative... Um, magicians, for lack of a better term, <laughs> behind an incredible project called Die Jim Crow. Yes. Um, can you tell, how do you, if somebody did not know anything about Die Jim Crow, how would you introduce it? Die Jim Crow is a record which is um, critiquing the new Jim Crow. So the essence of it, it, it is, I guess in one sentence, it is an anti-prison industrial complex record being recorded inside of prisons. Um, and the writers and vocalists are all either currently or formerly incarcerated. So it's an opportunity to give a voice to people who up until now have really not had a voice. Hmm. Um, how did this, how did this project come about? It, it came about, um, my co-producer, um, Fury Young, began working with artists in prison doing um we're doing visual art and he connected with them and put started putting on art shows outside um on the outside mm. and um at some point he decided that um you know because it, a lot of people were incarcerated music visual art um poetry spoken word this is really the only outlet that they have mm -hmm. To deal with some situations that are really, I don't even understand how some some of these individuals can deal with these situations, but they do, and they, they stay positive. Art is a big part of that. Yeah. And um, at some point, Fury decided that it would be really interesting to create a musical piece, a musical venture, a, musical, a record, initial, uh, in essence, that would... Um, that would document the journey through the prison industrial complex mm. um, from the point of view of someone who was taking that journey. And so what we're releasing now is an EP, and it's based on four days of recording that we did at Warren Correctional Facility, which is a closed security prison, which is one tier down for maximum security. Okay. And... Um, you know, we we uh, we recorded with the um, with the prisoners there for four days. Uh, got a lot of stuff done. Brought what we recorded out and worked with some people who were recently released, um, and had them add some additional stuff to it. And um, you know, the uh, the EP is a taste of what the full record will be. The full record is loosely based on conceptually. It's based on Pink Floyd's "The Wall." Really? Yeah. And the idea is that in Pink Floyd, The Wall, you have the journey of this individual, this fictitious individual, as he's wandering through his childhood experiences and the experience of becoming a rock star. And eventually he becomes this fascist dictator. Um, and so we use that as a model in terms of, obviously not the subject matter, but in terms of um, the orchestration. So the idea of this is that this is... A fictitious character who is voiced by many people who have had the experience and it's the journey of this fictitious character who is neither male nor female mm. um, 
but is a brown-skinned individual. Mm. And as they go through their entire life and their journey to the prison industrial complex, from, you know, the point that they grow up in an area which is a high crime, so-called high crime area, mm-hmm. um, they get into scuffles with the with the gang involvement, scuffles with the police to the point that they're incarcerated, then we wander through the entire journey through prison to the point that they're released. We recorded one of the pieces on the EP is called Plastic Bags, and we just recorded that with um, a guy, Carl, who just he served 35 years. Oh, he just got out, and his song Plastic Bags, it's on the EP, and it, it will appear on the on the full-length LP as well, and that's one of the, um, the songs that's about, you know, when you're released after this phenomenally long amount of time out of society, you're told that you have these resources. Mm. And so for him, it was a series of getting out, being out, and then rapidly becoming homeless. And so he was told he would, he would have a halfway house, he would have a three-quarter house, he would have all these different things. And every time he would show up and do what he was supposed to do, he would arrive at the place and he would be told, well, that's, that's not what's going on. You don't have that. And so he basically, his life was reduced to a plastic bag. Damn. And so that was, he, he was carrying these plastic bags around trying to figure out where to go, what to do. And this is an individual who has spent, you know, 35 years. I mean, we were, we were working on this song the other day. He had just done 35 years, had gotten out. He's gotten out a little a while ago. I think he's in his early 70s now. Oh, my God. And the other guy working with um, Nurse just did 20 to life. So he just served 20 years and got out. And, you know, they were sharing a lot of experiences. So we had and the other woman, Heloise, who's, uh, sorry, not Heloise, Helois, who sang on it as well, is, um, she had served, I believe, four. So we had, you know, almost. Wow. Yeah, and that was for, um, the time that she served was related to um, addiction, mm. you know, being addicted, substance addiction. And so you've got a collective, you know, almost... 60 years of prison Jesus. time in the room just between only three people. And he, Lois, is also a Vietnam vet, so she's gone through a lot. Holy Moses. Yeah, a lot of different things. And it's just, this, these, I mean, I think we're going to wander a little bit today because, you know, I, I want to talk about God bless it. all the I, different elements of this. Absolutely. Wander um, away. I'm yeah. all ears. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. But, um, you know, you, 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 you realize that there's another woman involved who... Uh, is serving a life sentence. Her, she was, she was locked up. She was convicted when she was 14 years old. Mm. Her trial, her entire trial, start to finish, lasted 10 minutes. And so you've got all these situations where you understand that they're. I said this to Fury the other day, and I had a realization that um, stereotypes related to the prison industrial complex apply to the prison industrial complex as a machine. But when you when you come into contact with the individuals, there's no stereotypes. Mm. It all sort of melts away. Yeah. And you start to see, you know, these different experiences um, that the individuals have. And it's a system that's stacked against people and primarily people of color. I mean, we have this now, you know, a couple of days ago, I guess it was in was in, in Huffington Post or somebody, you know, was talking with this this guy that worked with Nixon. And now he, they admitted that. Oh, the God, about the drug. Yes. So basically the whole idea was to, you know, criminalize marijuana use and heroin. But really what they wanted to do was they wanted to criminalize being a hippie and being anti-war or being black. And they efficiently did that. So you have, you know, what is it now, over 40, 40 50 years of, of this whole system 
being stacked against certain people who live in certain areas who are certain skin tone. And, um, you know, a lot of these stories are heartbreaking. And the only thing, the only thing that I've realized is that the consistent thing is I have not met anyone who's given up yet. Wow. And even, you know, when we worked in Warren, we're working with, you know, one individual, Cedric, he's doing life. He was locked up when he was 15. Um, another guy, McKinney, who was wrongfully convicted, and it's pretty clear he was wrongfully convicted. He, I think, is now about 11 years into a 28-to-life sentence. And, you know, he's fighting the case, and we're trying to... Fury actually has been uh, very active. We're trying to set him up with, um, you know, some different groups that can help him try to litigate his way out of a wrongful conviction. But, you know, when, we, when we've worked in Warren, it was all, it was super professional. Everybody showed up on time. Everybody, I mean, it was better than when you work with musicians <laughs> who have a record deal with like a and or something where you're, you're calling the manager, where's this guy at? I've been sitting here for five hours. Oh, my God. Um, and it was, you know, and everybody was super positive and, you know, really came together. Not, not everyone, because there's a lot of politics in prison. And so everybody put the politics aside and they put, you know, racial groupings aside and everybody got together and, you know, started working on this record. Wow. And I think the most positive thing about the record is that when I was brought on board, I was brought on board very early in the process. Well, actually, that's not true. I was brought on board with the first trip inside <clears throat> to Warren the first time and trip into the first prison. And the reason was, was that Fury did not have, he had some really great ideas and has done amazing work. Um, in terms of making the thing happen, he had no experience in terms of creating a record. So I, yeah, he was ready. To, he was heading into a prison with a Zoom Six. I'm going to make a record. And I was like, well, that's not. I mean, you could make a record like that, right? The Allen Lomax days and stuff like that. But I was like, you know, why don't we try to see if we can get permission to bring in, you know, a real recording setup and let's see if we can make a real record. And so the record is going to stand on its own as a piece of music, which I think is that's a really, really important part of it, um, that we've actually made a completely professional, competitive, um, accessible record. Mm. And so I think it's going to be a really great opportunity, like I said before, to really give a voice, you know, and that's it, one thing I've said in the Kickstarter is that, you know, I've, I've for years have had extreme amounts of frustration with the prison industrial complex, with the justice system here at large. And, you know, I was falsely incarcerated all the very briefly for armed robbery about 15 years ago. Mm. So I've seen it from the other side. Luckily, I had resources in place to get me out of that situation. If I hadn't had those resources, I don't know what would have happened. Um, but this is this is something that, you know, and I said in the Kickstarter, it, it already, it's going to make a difference and it already has made a difference. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's extremely powerful for myself to be involved in something where I can basically, you know, when somebody says, well, what are you doing? I can basically say, you know, can we curse? Absolutely. Okay. So I, I just wanted to check. So basically, somebody says to me, what are you doing? Are you not doing anything? I say, well, fuck you. I'm doing this. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, it's, it's a great, it's a, that's a great reason to get involved in the Kickstarter. If only for a selfish reason, because you, you can say, hey, I am involved in this thing, and this thing is making a difference. Here, look at it. Here, listen to this. You know, we did a teach-in, and um, Fury did one. I did one afterwards and related it to uh, the prison work. But, you know, there's been a couple teach-ins done <clears throat> at a charter school in um, in Brownsville, East New York, and it was amazing. You know, the first one I wasn't there, but one of the it's eighth graders. One of the one of the one of the young women had to leave the room at a certain point because her father is incarcerated. Oh man! 
So, and she she got too emotional to be able to stay there. You know, Fury had some individuals call in um, who are incarcerated. Uh, and you guys were, have footage of that in the Kickstarter video, Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah. And it's, you know, it's super powerful. You know, it's... um. And it's not it's not one of these you know situations where you're say, you know it's not like a scared straight situation where you're trying to horrify kids so that they're afraid of going to jail and so they act right. It's right. not one of those situations. This is actually opening up conversations. You know, my father is incarcerated. What's your father incarcerated for? Nine times out of ten, it has something to do with drugs. Okay, well it's just been exposed that this war on drugs is illegal. So there's elements of your father being incarcerated that are, that are illegal, and it's okay to be angry about that. It's okay to question that, you know. God, that's so powerful. Yeah. That's such an important message for, you know, especially kids coming up. like Absolutely. Who, and even the people who are in jail now to have that actual evidence absolutely. is absolutely illegal. Yeah. I mean, and that's, I mean, I, hopefully, I mean, I don't know how that's going to, how this is going to play out, but hopefully, you know, <laughs> Someone who is skilled at litigation will jump on this and start to, you know, start to try to unravel it a little bit. I mean, it's, you know, it's it's equivalent to, you know, with this new information that's coming out, it's equivalent to someone being a political prisoner, basically, yeah. at this point. You know, and, and I don't know, you know, if you unravel it too much, I'm not sure where it starts, where it stops unraveling. But, you know, it's it's very similar to conversations about slavery where, you know, America has never recovered from a slave economy. Slavery is over, but the slave economy is still in place. Mm -hmm. And so you have elements of that. You know, with this so-called war on drugs, it's clear, you know, you match it up with COINTELPRO and all these other things, and you start to understand, okay, well, this this is, you know, this is a, a slow form of genocide. Like, this yeah. is not, you know, these conversations... We're going to have to continue because I think lots of times in my experience, people will say, well, slavery is over. Slavery <sighs> didn't, you know, get over it, get over yeah. that. So, you know, we have, we have a lot of the vestiges of the machine. Absolutely. And there's, I mean, there's a significant lack of accountability and responsibility um, being taken. And especially, you know, for people who've grown up in privilege, yes. um, you know, certainly myself included, to yeah. be confronted with that um, can be really... Horrifying. And if Absolutely. somebody has a conscience, then they're like, what the fuck do I do with this? Because I can't well, stand this. I, yeah, I mean, I completely hear that. And I think that is a very, very important part of the conversation that has not been navigated well because it becomes very divisive. The wound is still so raw in a lot of ways. Yeah, and a lot of people, a lot of people end up taking it personally when yeah. certain individuals don't. It's not a personal attack, and that's totally. the complexity of it. Totally. I mean, one of the great conversations that's growing out of Jim Pro, which is a couple levels down... The guy who started the project is white, Fury Young. He's white, Jewish from New York. And, you know, I, I don't think he grew up that, that diff he's not rich, you know, he's not from money, but, you know, um, I think his experience growing up has been, you know, different than a lot of the individuals that he's working with. And initially I was very, very suspicious. And then we went into Warren and I saw how he had created a relationship with all of these in, uh, prisoners. Mm. And all of the respect he had built. And the respect was built out of them knowing this is a guy who for two years has been on the phone once a week and has been doing all these wow. things. And he's done the work. And so I instantly lost any suspicion that I had. And then as part of, you know, because this project is going to go on for another couple of years to get to the, the actual record. The EP is to build awareness, to build a fan base, to build a community. 
you know, the record is going to be another couple of years. And we'd like to ultimately, we've talked about having this be an on-Broadway show at some point. Oh, my God, so yes. That, that's the big goal. <gasps> you know, and have, have... Ooh, I just got goosebumps. Yeah, and have elements of the show where, you know, we'll have prisoners calling in during the show and performing songs and doing stuff like that. So that's the <clears throat> the long-term goal. Um, and so we sat down. You know, we, we, we meet a lot. We talk a lot about music. We also talk a lot about the politics of what we're doing. We talk a lot about, you know, having a thick skin and what we're going to have to deal with. And I said to Fury, I'm like, yo, this is the deal. Mm-hmm. People are going to give you shit because you're white. And that's the deal. And, you know, and we talk through it. And I'm like, and this is just what's going to happen. And it's happened, but he's been able to navigate it in a way that he's bringing people on his team. You know, he had a woman from, from um, I think associated with Berkeley from Boston. There's a series of interns. One of the interns called him up and called him out. was like, look, you know, you're, I think you need to talk about white privilege and the Kickstarter and this and that. And Fury was like, you know, he's like, I'm, I'm not going to do that because that takes away from the essence of the project. And he's like... Yeah. You know, for Fury's already, he already navigated it. You know, the guys he's working with see him as a brother. So he's already, he's navigated it. Um, and she is now an intern and is working and, you know, they, they, they had their conversation and they're good. You know, the woman called up and gave him a hard time. Very similar situation. And, um, he talked her through it and she ended up donating and she was like, okay, I got it. This is cool. Wow. But I think along the lines of what you're saying is that, you know, the conversation is like, how does our generation interact because you know I talk with people about slavery they, they never owned slaves right. they weren't part of the I mean, they're not even part of the new south they're progressive or however you would call it you know and if I'm if I have anger about slavery you know how do I I have a responsibility to not put it on them and they have a responsibility to see my situation. Yeah. And this is part of the, I mean, it's, and that's going to take a lot of talking and a lot of openness. Oh, that, yeah. I know. mean, just the level and the depth of the dialogue that's going to be, um, that's going to need to happen in order for these wounds to be healed. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I don't, I don't know if a wound like that can ever be healed, but there's definitely so much time and space and energy mm-hmm. available to go there. Just yeah. to begin those conversations, yeah. and it's, you know, especially, I mean, the few conversations I've had with people, um, certainly, and around privilege, and I want to get back to talking about Dijon Crow. Um, it's it really boils down to if the person is interested in solving the problem or getting wrapped up in the drama, which is mm-hmm. a more ego-based thing. Yes. Where it's like, but I never owned slaves, and I'm I have black right. friends. Versus, oh shit, this is an issue. This is a problem. How can I help? Right, and then you also have the flip side where, well, you're white, you can't understand, which, mm-hmm. is that true? I don't know. Is that helpful? I don't think that that's helpful, Yeah. ultimately. And, you know, it's like, I mean, for me, it's been a great example. Like, I initially was suspect of fury, and by being in the trenches with him, and by working with him, and by, you know, doing 13-hour drives, and talking about this, wow. and seeing his level of commitment, you know, and seeing, again, his relationship with the people he's working with, you know, I lost that cynicism. Mm. And that, you know, that's only because that couldn't have been done in a conversation. Right. I mean, my first thought with my participation in Die Jim Crow is that, wait, I should be doing this. I'm the black mm. guy. That's the white guy. He should be working for me on this project. Mm. And then I met Fury, and that that dropped very quickly because I was like, "Well, you know what? It's his fucking project. Mm-hmm. It's not my project. He, I didn't, I can't just jump in. He, this guy did two years of work, you know, flying around the country and talking to people, and meeting with people, and collecting um, 
songs and co-writing and helping to arrange and figuring out who was a musician he'd wear and making contacts and you know at the end of the day he's the guy that put the work into it he's the one that he's the one that's giving a voice yeah to these people and really it was my responsibility to jump on board mm -hmm. my my talent is in making this be a real record so i needed to make it be a real record mm -hmm. you know it's interesting. It's like, you know, and I think that the process, you know, how do we get there? We, we get there by working together. Yeah. And, and I have to say, like, even just like the microcosm of your process around working with Fury mm -hmm. on this, I mean, that to me is like a, a profound metaphor of, I mean, like, who's, I mean, that suspicion, that sort of racial suspicion, be it mm -hmm. black to white, white to black, comes from our inheritance of slavery. Absolutely. You know, of that slave economy that is still absolutely present. And absolutely. that sort of like deep suspicion, absolutely. that wouldn't be there had slavery not happened. No, and there are, there are certain dynamics that have reinforced that. So you see it, you see the dynamic reinforced in the record industry, for example. You have, mm -hmm. you know, all the guys making the big money who are rich are the white guys. And then it goes down in a tier you know, in the hip-hop industry, you have, yeah, you have some black guys who are making money, but not money like that. Like, any any, any of, you know, a lot of, I wouldn't say any, but a lot of the situations are that you have the musicians who are the artists who are making a number, then you have the label or the machine, which has 10 artists, and they're all making that number times 10 or more. So, you know, it's it's that same, the same dynamic. And your capitalism, the way that we do American capitalism to a degree, it's innate. It's, it's, it's innate in the system that you have to have people who are not making enough mm -hmm. and people who are being taken advantage of for this thing to float. You know? And people to be reminded of they don't have enough, they are not enough. That you know, exactly. it, it, I mean, talk about a level of addiction. Yeah. I mean, keeping them hooked into that. Absolutely. That Absolutely. thought form and, yeah. Yeah, we did, we did, we did, um, we did a te the teaching that I did the other day at, at, at the same charter school. Um, uh, one of the, well, the students were super together and super smart and um, and super focused. And I've done similar things with adults, and they didn't have it as together as these kids did. And the one one, one uh, young man asked me. He said, um, he said, you know, there's a lot of negative portrayals out there in hip hop today. And he said, what do you think about that? And I said, well, you know, McDonald's is not particularly great food but it sells the most food in the world and I said you know I had an experience years ago where I was actually dating this woman and we were watching a hip-hop video and you know it was like a gangster video or whatever and the guys were portraying a certain role and she said um she's she's Israeli so she's very blunt so she said uh <laughs> she said um you know doesn't that make you feel embarrassed about your race and I was like well I don't know like the last time I watched an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie I didn't think white people were all like gun-toting criminals. Like it's like it's like these guys are actors. Like right. you know, that's another complexity where you have this industry that is making millions of dollar dollars a year. You know, with the misogynistic references and you know the racial slurs and the the, the violence and the references to drug dealing and all this stuff. And I don't think it's going to work to say that's wrong. You can't do it. I think what's going to work is to try to put that in the context of this is entertainment. This is not what you use to represent this culture. Mm -hmm. This is not there all is this. There's, there's so much more. And you don't, you know, I mean, I'm not a fan of Arnold Schwarzenegger, but he, he didn't make me hate white people <laughs> yet. <laughs> no, but, you know, it's like I think that there's a lot.
There's a lot there, you know. Um, I have to ask, what did you think of Kendrick Lamar's uh, performance at the at the Grammys? I didn't see it. Um, I'm a fan of Kendrick Lamar, mm-hmm. um, and I, I don't know the context. I know that everyone was talking about. I mean, I sound like I live under a rock, but I've been in the studio for. No, like, no, no. You have been busy at work. Twenty hours a day. Yeah, more. totally. I mean, he did an extraordinary. Act. I'll put um I'll put a, a video of it in the blog post when it okay, goes the podcast cool. episode, um, but it was all about the prison industrial complex. That's great. And he like proper bars, cells, uh-huh. uh, prisoners. It was That's I mean amazing. visually profoundly powerful, but then uh-huh. the message along with it. I right. mean it's just like everybody's it like it's it's amazing. I'm gonna have to try to give him a call before the Kickstarter's done. Hell's yes, <laughs> hell's yes. Yeah, that might make sense. Kendrick, if you're listening, contact yes. Doc Israel. Yes. <laughs> um, so we are nearing up on. Uh, we have about five minutes left because you are a very busy man. Um, I quickly, how did you guys get connected, or how did Fury get connected with that particular prison? Fury went to. Um, Fury got involved at the beginning of his... I mean, and Fury was basically just like, I want to make this record, and you can't tell me I'm not making this record, and just started um, with a lot of people telling him he, it was not possible, he couldn't do it, and he just doesn't listen, which is great. That's why it's great to work with him. Um, so he somehow linked up through a bunch of um, prison activists, and there's a woman named Kathy who works with the choir at Warren Correctional. Oh. And so the choir is called the Emoja Choir, and Fury went to Boston. He had, he had to fly to Boston and somehow got to sit with this woman and talk with her, gain her trust, and so said, I want to do this record. Can I get, you know, do you think you can get me into Warren? So she said, no, but I'll ask. And somehow she linked him with the dean of special services there. Mm. With this woman named Miss Kay, who's great, who is somebody who has years and years working as a CEO, a correctional officer, and is some is you know one of the people who really wants to see some positive changes, and that's her reason for for staying in the prison in in that in that the prison industrial complex, you know, working for them, um, and so somehow Kathy. Through Kathy and through his contact with Miss Kay, he actually convinced Miss Kay to let us come in. We did initial, initially we did two days, and I thought we were going in to record a choir, and all of a sudden there was a drum kit and there was keyboard, and I was not prepared for it technically at all. Mm-hmm. So I did the, I just, I, I switched into Motown mode, and I'm like, I have three microphones, I'm just going to pretend I'm in, in, you know, or like Jamaica in like 1968 <laughs> trying to record, you know, the, the sax player is too loud, so you put him in the bathroom. Like you just, I don't know. <clears throat> and so we got some, we got some useful stuff with the choir, but you know, the, the music stuff was a little bit subpar. Mm. So I said to Fury, you know, now I know what we're what we're getting into. You know, if I could make a checklist, you know, and we can get the, the permission, I'm like, I, I see how we could do this. We could bring in a full recording studio, and we can, you know, and we singled out. Not singled out, but we, 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 we linked up with certain individuals who were the more focused individuals and the musicians in addition to the guys in the choir. And so when we went back, we did two days with just them and laid down all the basic tracks. We had them come back one day for vocals, and then we had the choir come in for another day and lay some stuff on top of that. So we got, you know, a, a real professional recording, which wow. is super exciting. Yeah. That's how Fury got in. It was, you know, basically just a determination. He's been denied from a, a few others. Another reason for the EP is that we want to be able to use that as a calling card 
to try to get in to some other places. Amazing. So, you know, he's, he's been denied from Angola. We're going to try to get back into Angola. Um, there's some, some places in the West Coast we're going to try. Mm. Uh, we got denied from Muncie Women's Prison outside of, in Pennsylvania, outside of Philadelphia. But um, um, Mo, I, she's going by Be Real now. Well, you'll see on the EP, but she's an amazing vocalist, female vocalist. We recorded with her about a month after she got out of Muncie. So she was doing her second, I think, six-year sentence there. And so, um, you know, we wanted it to be a calling card to be able to get another prison. And I, I see this as being a thing that continues. Like, you know, we're talking about trying to get into a prison in Senegal for, wow. the, for the record because that would have oh to do with the, the Middle Passage and that yeah. whole... And, you know, I would like to at some point, you know, when we're done with this one, I would like to look at trying to get into prisons in Jamaica mm. and do something maybe possibly based on the Bob Marley record or, you know, a concept like that. Yeah, so yeah, I think that yeah. would be amazing. You know, I know there's a ton of talent wow. down there. So well, you, you totally read my mind because I wanted to ask, what is your guys' dream? Well, I mean, I think that's the dream for me is to, you know, be able to get into a bunch of different facilities and work with... Um, with the artists, you know, and give people a voice. Um, you know, and the, 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 the idea for Die Jim Crow to be on Broadway, I think that would be great. You know, and we're excited. We're going we're gonna, to, in theory, we'll be touring with it at some point. So we want to tour with a core group of people, but also have the wow. phone calls. You know, so it, it'll be a band. The record will be out. And I don't know exactly what that'll look like. But, you know, I'm really excited about doing that. You know, and there's also, there, there is an, another complex element to this whole experience, which is, you know, ultimately it showed me a lot about being human. I mean, at the end of the day, the prison industrial complex is askew, mm -hmm. and that's clearly that's clearly the case. Um, and I think that in the past, I left it, I left my opinions at that, mm. and I left my feelings at that. But you know, in addition, the prison industrial complex is complex. And I think that that's where I'm arriving at. And I'm, you know, I, I am very proud of Fury. I'm very proud of myself. I'm very proud of all the artists. And I think the thing that I'm the most part of, uh, proud about is that we've been able to create this this intensely focused and deep dialogue related to all this stuff. Mm -hmm. So there's guys that I've worked with who are guilty. And who did what they what they've been accused of doing? I mean, I've worked with guys who are rapists. I've worked with, you know, guys who have done some pretty unspeakable things. I've also worked, you know, with um, individuals who were caught up and have been incarcerated since the '80s. Mm -hmm. You know, I've worked with guys who said, "Yeah, you know, in 1981, 82, I killed somebody," and it's because I was so engulfed in in in, in crack cocaine, mm -hmm. I don't even remember doing it. I, I, I woke up in the cell. It's like, and, wow. and you know, some of these individuals have been in those cells for 25, 30 years. And so it's an extremely complex dialogue. I mean, even, you know, one of the artists was at a show we did the other day and was saying, yeah, you know, I've been locked up with people who need to be locked up. Like, how do we navigate that? Because at the end of the day, you have people who are not functioning in society well. Mm -hmm. And there needs to be a way to keep them away from people that they would do harm to mm -hmm. and try to rehabilitate people. At the same time, you have a ton of people who made bad decisions and are, are, I mean, if you kill somebody, they're not coming back. If you did it when you were 14, 
20 years later, are you a different person? Mm-hmm. Can you, will you do that again? Were there drugs involved? Is there poverty involved? Is there money involved? These are super complex dialogues that, you know, a lot of people are just not having and don't want to have. And yeah. I think for me, the greatest thing about this project is that we have a few different groups that we're going to be marketing to. And we have the people who are going to love the music and people who are going to love the politics. And there's a, a big crossover there. And then I think people are going to fall on one, one side of the spectrum. And that's one group. But we have another group, which is people that don't think there's anything wrong with the prison industrial complex and people that don't, people that think the people that are locked up need to be locked up. I mean, my cousin, um, it's about six years ago, died in a gunfight with Philadelphia police, mm-hmm. uh, undercover detectives. And there's different reports, but it seemed that he'd surrendered and they shot him after he surrendered. It's a very corrupt neighborhood. The detectives are known for corruption. They were probably involved with whatever gang business he was doing. Maybe he robbed, I don't know exactly what happened. Maybe they're trying to rob him. But um, the conversations that happened after that on the internet were insane because there was the one side that hated the police. There was the other side that hated my cousin for no good reason. And there was very few voices who understood the complexity of the situation Mm. and the history behind the situation my cousin was in and the history behind the way the police treat people in that neighborhood. And, And so I think, you know, ultimately with Die Jim Crow... I want that group that thinks that everyone in prison, they think about them with the stereotypes, which I mentioned before. Mm-hmm. I want that group to have to look at a record and hear it and say, well, that's a great record. And then find out after the fact it was recorded in a prison mm-hmm. by prisoners. And I want, I think through, through, through the artistic endeavor and the artistic integrity, we'll be able to reach some people that would not be reachable by political rhetoric. And I think that's, you know, the most exciting part to me about Dietrich Absolutely. Crow. Absolutely. Mm. Um, how can people uh, follow and find both the EP, the Kickstarter, as well as you and Fury? Yes. Well, the thing to do, um, and we have 10 days left on the Kickstarter at this point. Yes, so, today we are recording on Saturday, March 26th. Yes. So if you hear this and this is interesting to you, please check it out. Um, and whatever you can donate, everything is appreciated. If you cannot donate and you want to get behind the project, curate. So if you can send it out to 10 friends, 15 friends, 20 friends, five friends, one friend, um, we appreciate that. We're, we're not just raising money. We're also building a core fan base here. So we definitely need help with that. Um, Kickstarter picked it as a pick that we love. So you can go to Kickstarter, uh, a project that we love. You go to kickstarter.com, punch in Die Jim Crow. It'll take you right there. DieJimCrow.com. Um, that's a great way. That has contact, contact information, so you can get it. It's there. That has a link to the Kickstarter. There's a lot of videos from the inmates talking about their involvement in the project, encouraging people to donate, thanking Fury, um, there's a video from the teach-in uh, in East New York. There is video of me and Fury trying to figure out how to ask people for money. <laughs> <laughs> and there's video of us working in the studio. So it's, you, you can really get there and get a real taste of the project. Um, so Amazing. Yeah. Um, 
Doc, thank you so much for taking time out of your very busy Saturday thank to you, talk Alex. to me. Um, and here's to the full successful realization of Die Jim Crow uh, above and beyond your guys' wildest dreams. Thank you. Coming from you, that means a lot. <laughs> thank you. Absolutely. Thank you, man. <laughs> okay. And there you have it, folks. My brief, sweet, and oh-so-deep, fabulous interview with the one and only Doc Israel. Go ahead and check out their Kickstarter campaign. Please give what you can. They have all different price points available. Uh, and again, this is such a worthy project. If you are engaged with and believe in the healing of this deep wound of racism in our country. Um, that is like the most pithy way I can put that. But please go kickstarter.com, do a search for Die Jim Crow. You can also go to their website, diejimcrow.com. And by all means, please keep supporting them. Follow them on Facebook, follow them on Twitter. This is an amazing project that I think has incredible, uh, what's the word? Future? No, prospect. Um, possibility, for lack of a better term. Anyway, guys, until next time, so long and farewell. Thanks so much for tuning in. We look forward to bringing you an amazing interview very shortly with an incredible female comic. Another comic. Yay. All right, guys. Huge love. Take care. Be good. And we'll see you real soon.